So today, apparently, there's some game that's being played a little later today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are the Lakers playing today? <laughs> Interesting story out of the Super Bowl, though. One of the, the Baltimore Ravens offensive linemen, Michael Orr, had a movie made about him. Anyone see The Blind Side? Interesting storyline, because now he's in the Super Bowl, and, and he came out this week and said, hated the movie. So, yeah, said it didn't adequately, it didn't correctly display who he was, portray who he was. But what he did say, and what the movie said, and what the book said, was that he greatly appreciated the, the family that adopted him. He appreciated that they brought him in and plucked him out of homelessness, out of a bad situation, brought him into their family and gave him a chance, gave him an opportunity. And now here he is today in the, the biggest game on the football stage, um, playing on the blind side of their, their offensive line. So his job is to protect the blind side of the quarterback, the back side of the quarterback. But what an amazing story of grace, uh, of someone who didn't deserve anything, who's someone who, whose situation was desperate, was difficult, and this family came and showed him grace, showed him favor, and showed him mercy by caring about the situation he was in. This morning, we want to talk a little bit about God's grace, which is far greater than anything we as humans can, can do to each other, for each other. We want to talk about God's mercy, His patience. And as we come to these categories, we're coming to categories that can at times be difficult to describe that are, are so rich and so broad and with so much meaning that words fail us. What is God's grace? I don't know. It's His grace. What is His mercy? Well, He has mercy. And sometimes we, we, we know what it means, but we want to explore the richness and the depth of that. I think of something like our, our wedding vows. And wedding vows are, are a small series of words, right? But don't they have great meaning? When we say in sickness and in health and, and um, for better, for worse, till death do us part, that's more than just a few sentences. It's words that encapsulate the rest of our lives and that relationship for the rest of our lives. That has deep meaning that everyone watching a wedding knows. And when we come to grace and mercy, it has that kind of deep meaning that goes far beyond a simple definition and invades every aspect of our lives. Turn with me to Exodus. And before we delve into grace and mercy, I'd like to look at a story and open with the story of the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 32. And the scene in, in Exodus 32 is that the children of Israel, God has delivered them from Egypt. The plagues have already happened. They're out of the hands of Pharaoh. The, the Red Sea has already happened where they were trapped and God opened up the water and let them go through and destroyed the army behind them. And we see God's hand of deliverance mightily on His people. And we come to, to this stage in Exodus and we come to a time where they've come to Mount Sinai and Moses has gone up to talk with God. Incredible time. And God is giving His, His instructions, the Ten Commandments. He's giving His covenant and the covenant law to the children of, of Israel. But the people, the people are down in camp saying, what's taking so long? 
watching their, their sundials and saying, okay, I don't know where he is. And, and time goes by, and I don't know, maybe he's dead up there. Who knows what's happened, but the lightning's still happening. And, and so they have this idea, let's build some golden calves. And we'll worship them. They'll, they'll represent God to us, but we're going to worship them. And we pick up that story in Exodus 32. Exodus 32, and let me start reading at verse 7 to see God's response. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. Wow. Encouraging words to start our morning. As we see a people that have sinned against God, turned to a false god. And God's righteousness and justice, which we've studied, is on display in his wrath. He says, let's deal with it. Let's take care of this. Let's purge the sins so I can make a great nation of you. And praise God, God is not just a God of righteousness, justice, and wrath. But God is also a God of love and grace and mercy. And we've talked every week that all of the attributes work together Because they are in their entirety who God is all of the time. And so Moses answers in verse 11, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hard against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and a mighty hand? And he goes on to intercede for them. And from here, Moses goes down the mountain and he's angry at the people and he disciplines them and they grind up the calf and they have to drink it and God brings some judgment on them. And the people repented. And in chapter 33, Moses again goes to God and he intercedes on their behalf. God, these are your people. Remember your love. Remember your grace. Remember your mercy. And in Exodus 33, skip over to the next chapter as we're working our way to 34. Verse 17 and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. This is an, I'll answer your prayer. For you have found favor in my sight. And that word for favor is the same word for grace. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. What a great thing to say. Signifying relationship, intimacy. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, he being God, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord or Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And we see his grace and his mercy. And he's saying, I've chosen to show grace and mercy. Not because you forced my hand, but I am God and I can choose to give grace and mercy on whom I will. And so jumping to chapter 34, verse 6, key verse to, to understand the whole morning and how this all ties together. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. As we study his grace and his mercy today, I hope there's many times we find ourselves bowing our head to the ground and simply worshiping a God we don't understand. But in verse 6 there, the Lord passes by and he's showing his glory. And his glory means showing these attributes. And we've, we've talked about his steadfast love. Pastor Andrew did a great job of explaining that attribute. Last week we talked about his faithfulness. But before that, we have three other statements about God. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, His mercy, and gracious, His grace, and slow to anger, His patient. And because of that, the children of Israel weren't wiped off the face of the earth that day. Because they deserved it. But God was grace, mercy, and patient. So this morning we want to look at those. Grace and mercy in particular. Patience as a, as a sub-point of, of mercy. But these three are often mentioned together in the Old Testament. As you go all the way from Exodus through, through the end of the, the Old Testament, we see these three always coming up, almost always repeating this exact formula. In fact, Jonah was angry about it. Do you remember Jonah 4? And Jonah's sitting up on the hill saying, okay, God, fire, brimstone, destroy him. I'm ready. Let the fireworks begin. But then it doesn't happen, and they repent. And God accepts their repentance. And Jonah prays to the Lord in Jonah 4.2 and says, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So he knows that this is God. And in Exodus, God revealed himself to Moses and to us through his word. And his grace and his mercy resolve the dilemma of humans, our sin, and God's righteous response to that sin, but yet He is a loving God. And His righteousness and His love intersect at the cross in grace and mercy. And that's what flows out of the intersection of those attributes. So we want to explore grace and mercy this morning. And again, just give us a taste Sort of like going to the ocean and and just dipping in to what is a vast ocean of His grace and mercy. But I pray that we are astounded by it. That we drown in His grace and mercy. We see it for what it is. So we start with grace. We start trying to define these. And the definition in your notes is grace is God's active, heartfelt, unmerited favor toward His creatures who are in need. God's active, heartfelt, unmerited favor toward His creatures who are in need. And the key, key word there, the, the key verb there is favor, that He is bestowing favor on those that, that are His creation, those that have need, those that are helpless. 
When you bestow favor on someone, you are giving them all of your goodness. You are changing your attitude toward them. And that's the idea here. It's an active verb. And, and as we see God's grace, it's always an active grace. It always does something. You don't have grace. You show grace. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see steadfast love sometimes translated as grace. But it's this positive attitude, this positive disposition towards someone else. Sometimes from someone in authority to someone lesser. But as we look at the the New Testament words and the Old Testament words, the other concept we get is grace is always unmerited. In fact, if I earn grace, it's not grace. It's, it's something I've earned. And so grace is something unmerited, undeserved. And so the idea is God is not dealing with, with us on the basis of what we deserve. He's dealing with us on the basis of His goodness and His kind attitude toward us. God's grace is His abundant blessings on those who do not deserve it, have not earned it, and cannot pay for it. It's God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. Sometimes we we use a a short phrase to remember God's grace, getting what we don't deserve, right? And and as long as we realize that's just a simple scratch-the-surface phrase, and that grace is so much more, that's actually a pretty good idea of what grace is. It's getting something that we don't deserve because God has looked at us kindly and with favor. It's an amazing thing. Because we are are sitting here in our sin before we know God. We are sinners and, and we're just lobbing hand grenades at the kingdom of God. And we are enemies of God. And while we are still enemies, God looks at us and in His grace looks at us with with favor. You have two blanks there in the definition. The definition of grace has to do with a change of attitude and action. Attitude and action. And so grace is an attitude of favor toward us by God, but God's grace is also actions of favor toward us. You can't separate the two. And as we talk about that with mercy, we'll see the same thing. And then when we look at our response, we see the same thing. As we begin to explore grace, just a couple of opening thoughts. Grace is something that was completely foreign to them at this time and is really foreign to most of the world today. In Greco-Roman ethics and their theology and their religious systems, grace was not even a concept. It was all works. You earn this. You do this. You somehow do enough to get favor with God. And in fact, even today, no other system of religious thought contains the emphasis on divine grace like the Bible. When you talk with a Muslim and when you talk about their faith, grace is something that is foreign to them. To be able to to reach them with the gospel, you actually have to teach them the concept of grace. And we see that in the different cults that you experience. Several times I've had Jehovah Witnesses come up to me in recent day or in recent months and in Mormons. And one of the things that they always struggle with is the idea of grace. Because their systems always try to earn salvation. 
And so this is a foreign concept, a completely other concept, because it is God Almighty. If we're to appreciate God's grace, we need to remember and be reminded of just some basic things, three basic things that are in your notes. Because sometimes we get so used to singing about grace and the, the, the theology and all the songs was wonderful this morning. And we get so used to hearing about God's grace that we take it for granted. But we want to appreciate it. We want to be staggered by it, astounded by it. And so three reminders. We all were born sinners. We all were born sinners. I have children. I, I can attest to that. I didn't teach them how to sin. I didn't teach them how to be selfish. I didn't teach them how to lie. They came by that quite naturally. Because we're all born sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a concept that flies in the face of a world that says we're inherently good. Second thing to remember, we're all sinners... And God in righteousness and justice must deal with sin. And again, these are review of, of the attributes we've talked about when we talked about grace alone. God in righteousness and justice must deal with sin. He does not owe us grace. He is not our pet. He is not here to, to succumb to our whims. What He owes us is to, that He deals with sin and death. And the third point to remember is nothing we can do can earn salvation. Nothing we can do can earn salvation, not even a speck of it, not even a portion of it. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And so we, we, we start with this assumption that we're sinners, God must deal with sin, there is nothing we can do on our own, to earn salvation. And so the picture is we are helpless, completely deserving of destruction. And that's what sets up grace. And that's what sets up the power of grace. The beauty of it. Three kinds of grace, and then we'll delve into some observations about grace. There are three, often, graces categorized into three kinds. The first is common grace. Common grace. This is the unmerited favor God has to all people, to all of His creation. This is not saving grace. We see different aspects of this. There's physical common grace, where God says, for He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And common grace, common grace gives us those things to live, to survive, so that we can experience God's saving grace. Being able to have children, the blessing of family, is all under common grace. Spiritually, God gives common grace as He is restraining the evil one. And we may think, man, this world is bad and evil is spreading. Imagine what it would be if the Holy Spirit wasn't constraining the evil one. By His grace, this world is even still in existence. And that's common grace. Two other kinds of grace. Special grace or saving grace is the second one. And that is the grace of redemption through Christ Jesus. The grace of salvation offered freely. 
And the third grace is daily grace. And that's God's favor to spiritually grow, to serve Him, and to use our gifts to survive every day, to thrive every day serving God. And those second two, His saving grace and His daily grace, that's where we're going to focus this morning. Because that's where we see God's grace specifically to us. Some observations about grace. First, grace is the source of Christ's sacrifice to offer redemption from sin. Grace is the source of Christ's sacrifice to offer redemption from sin. Salvation is only possible because of God's grace. Because God acted. And when we say source there, and many of the authors use that word, the idea is that God is the source and His attribute of grace is what gave us Christ. It's by grace you are saved. And it's by grace that we have the plan of salvation. That we have an opportunity for salvation. And so grace is that intersection of His righteousness and love as He acted to bring salvation. Romans 3.23 passage that we used, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we see by His grace, by His grace, by His grace, over and over and over again. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. And so so through divine initiative, through His attribute of grace, He sent His Son to die on the cross in our place. That is the only way to salvation in both the Old Testament looking forward to Christ and the New Testament knowing what Christ had done. See, grace was revealed in Christ Jesus. Grace was revealed in His life as He hung on the cross in John 1:14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son of the father full of grace and truth verse 17 for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and so we see this visible demonstration of God's grace that was was prophesied all the way back to Genesis 3 when he says To the serpent I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so it is by grace that we have the opportunity for redemption from sins. Observation number two. God is the God of grace both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I've heard many times that there are two gods in the Bible. God of the Old Testament, which was a God of wrath and vengeance. And the God of the New Testament, which is love and grace. And as we've said before, it's not true. Because that's not even a fair description of the Old and New Testament. We see grace and mercy throughout the Old Testament. We see grace and mercy throughout the New Testament. And we see God's righteousness in both. God never changes. He is the same. It's good to know how to answer people like that. So just think through the Old Testament for a minute. In Ruth, we see the boundless grace of God to this woman, showing that God gives grace to anyone, regardless of gender, race, status. We see God's grace to Noah, 
as He provides a way through the flood. We see God's grace and mercy to Moses and to the children of Israel as they go through this cycle of rebellion against God and discipline from God and then repentance and then back to God and then rebellion against God. And this cycle is over and over and over again. And by God's grace, He doesn't end the cycle in their destruction. We see God's grace for Gideon where He says, if I have found favor or grace in your eyes, show me a sign. We see God's grace for David after his sin with Bathsheba, after his sin, another sin of of counting the people when he wasn't supposed to. And we see repentance and God's grace to restore him. Ezra said God showed grace to leave a remnant and give a place to Jerusalem. So over and over, God is a God of grace, even in the Old Testament. Third observation Grace is freely given. It's never an obligation or earned. It is freely given. And this again is one that we know, and if you are a believer, you've heard that over and over and over again. But do we believe it? Do we really believe grace is free, or are we still trying to earn it somehow? Do we follow God to try to somehow get more favor or do we follow Him because we love Him and only because we love Him? God's grace is free. We mentioned Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is free. It is a gift. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand that. You know, we, we live in a, a society where we have a phrase, a proverb, there is no free lunch. Okay, what are we referring to when we say that? And if it looks too good to be true probably is too good to be true. There's no free lunch. You have to pay your dues. And so that's pounded into us from early on, and there's a lot of truth to that in how we interact with each other, but that is not grace. Something for nothing is hard for us to understand. We keep trying to balance the ledger, saying, I have to do my part. One neighbor living in winter country, his... his um, one, one guy, his neighbor would come and his neighbor had a, a snowblower, loved to use a snowblower. That'd be fun. And, and so every winter he'd come and snowblow his, his neighbor's driveway. The, the man's driveway. His neighbor would do that. And the, the man was like, I, I have nothing to give back. And it bugged him. It bugged him that someone would do something kind for him. He finally realized in the summer that his neighbor didn't have an edger. So all summer he'd edge his neighbor's lawn. And he felt better because he balanced the books. Makes sense? And in human dealings with each other, that, that's fantastic. But that's not what God's grace is like. God's grace is freely given because nothing we do could earn it. Nothing we do could earn it. It'd be like if I was lifting my car with a forklift and one of my sons was up there trying to push on a corner and he said, I'm helping the forklift. No, he's not. The forklift is doing the work. He's just there hoping he's doing work. God's grace is free, people. 
And that's why it is so amazing. If we have to earn it, what's so amazing about it? It's just like anything else. Be amazed and astounded at God who freely says, I choose to love you and I choose to provide salvation. Number four, God's grace never runs out. It is infinite. God's grace never runs out. It is infinite. That applies to both those that know God and those that don't know God. For those that don't know God, it's a reminder that God's infinite grace can cover any sin, any situation. And if you turn to Him, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. He can forgive and bring you into His kingdom. Nothing can stop God's grace. For those that know God, it's a reminder that God lavishes His grace on His children. That was in one of the songs that we sang this morning out of Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which have no end, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What does it mean when you lavish your love on your children? Man, it just doesn't end, right? You're just pouring it on. You can't... It's just there and ever-present. Well, God lavishes His grace on us. And so because His grace is infinite, there's a lot to be able to lavish on us that we can enjoy. His disposition of favor toward us. His acts of kindness towards us. Five and six get into the daily grace. One through four is the saving grace and then His daily grace. Grace not only brings salvation, but results in help to live a godly life. Grace not only brings salvation, but results in help to live a godly life. In Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So there's the saving grace. But then in verse 12, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Do you need God's grace today? Absolutely, because that's what He's using to change you and transform you. Do you need God's grace tomorrow? Does Does He give enough grace? Remember, it's infinite. He lavishes it upon us. And so God gives the grace and the power to live a godly life. But we have to realize it's there. We have to live rightly as a response to His great gift of grace. It's like getting an incredible gift. Maybe someone blesses you with a new car this afternoon. And you say, thanks, don't don't want it. They'll slap you or or something. because, Because the response doesn't fit the gift. And when we see the depth of God's grace, our response is to give into that grace. Let it change us to live for God. Finally, number six, God's grace reminds us of His favor even in difficult times. God's grace reminds us of His favor even in difficult times. 2 Corinthians 12.9, Paul's talking about his thorn in the flesh. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He's been asking God, remove this, remove this, remove this. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I've given you enough favor to live today. 
There's several other verses. Hebrews 4.16, 1 Peter 5.10. In the 1 Peter passage, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And in the concept here of God's grace, remember God's grace is His favor. That He likes you. That He loves you. That He's giving His blessings to you. And when we are going through difficult times, that is an incredible reminder that even though it feels like everything's falling apart, even though I don't see a way out, even though my heart is grieving over what I'm going through, I know that I have God's favor. I know that He cares so deeply about me that nothing will change that. It's the parent that comes to the child who's crying and hurting because they just fell down. They hold them. They say, I want you to know I love you. It doesn't fix the hurt, but it overcomes the hurt. God's grace says, I look on you with favor. Gaze at the cross to see God's grace. Mercy, we'll go through these quickly because mercy... And grace overlaps so much. But mercy is a, a slightly different thing. The, the definition I have for mercy is God's active and tender-hearted compassion, kindness, and forgiveness toward those in misery and distress. God's active, tender-hearted compassion, kindness, and forgiveness toward those in misery and distress. And whereas grace is God's benevolent action for those in need, Mercy is God's compassion for those in need. For those in distress. Grace tends to deal more with sin. Mercy tends to do, to deal more with distress and misery, including sin, but a, the whole gamut of things we might go through in life. Sometimes we, we try to summarize mercy. Grace is getting what we, we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Saving from punishment. And that's true to a point, but that's one tiny aspect of mercy and misses actually the, the, the greatness of mercy throughout Scripture. Because mercy is almost always in Scripture acquainted with compassion. Compassion. And it's this idea, and in one of the words used, there's about six different words used for mercy. One of the words is, is a feeling from the bowels, which is the deepest compassion you could have for somebody. And so when we see God's mercy, it means God looks at us and our need and our misery and our distress and His heart breaks for us. And He says, that's my child. I know what they're going through. So it's that love. It includes forgiveness for sin. Favor instead of punishment. But it's action. It's attitude and action. And many of the the points under mercy are very similar to the ones under grace, and we'll go through them so we can look at the implications. God's mercy results in compassionate forgiveness for those who repent. God's mercy results in compassionate forgiveness for those who repent. His grace leads to the cross, which gives us the means to be able to repent. 
His mercy is where he compassionately says, I forgive you because of what Christ did on the cross. I I encourage you to read the Psalm 103 passage and see God's forgiveness in action. Number two, our merciful God understands our trials. Our merciful God understands our trials. Isn't it comforting to know that your God cares deeply for what you go through? I love the passage in Exodus chapter 2, 23. Children of Israel are in Egypt. They're under slavery. They're going through it deeply. And we read, During those days, many... During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And we see in verse 24 and 25 God's mercy. And God heard their groaning. He heard. He heard their requests. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham. His covenant of love. With Isaac and Jacob. And then God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And what that means is He saw what they were going through, but He knew what they were going through. And He experienced deep compassion for them. Deep compassion. We serve the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort. And this morning you're not feeling a lot of comfort, know that your God knows. He knows the deepest hurts of your heart. And He is merciful to you. Number three, Christ was a perfect example of compassion. Perfect example of compassion. Hopefully as we studied through Mark, You kept hearing words of compassion. Just listen to these verses. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 1, moved with pity. Another word for compassion or mercy. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Matthew 9, 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying, Have mercy on us, son of David. We know he went on to heal them. Feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 15, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. In Luke 7, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out and the only son of his mother and she was a widow. And the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. The story of the good Samaritan God, Jesus describes people that are willing to help and the only one that was, was willing to help was one that he said had mercy on him, that had compassion on him. And he said that's what we should do. The prodigal son, the father is described as having compassion and mercy when his son comes back. Christ's clear example that we are to follow is one of mercy and compassion. Number four, God's mercy leads to grace. They're connected. Number five, God's mercy is also displayed in His patience. 
God's mercy is also displayed in his patience. See, God is withholding punishment of those who sin. And he's continuing to offer salvation by grace over a period of time. That's patience. Patience means we don't just get killed the moment we sin, even though that's what we deserve. Patience says, I will forbear and I will give you an opportunity to hear the gospel and come to salvation. Finally, number six, just like with grace, his mercy is great. His mercy is great. I want to end with with really one implication in two parts. First part is we need to be astounded at his mercy at grace and grace. Remember how we started? We don't deserve grace. Nothing we do deserves grace. In fact, we deserve death and punishment. And God in his mercy and grace says, I have a different way. We need to be blown away by that, astounded by that. Because then the second half of that, we need to become people of grace and mercy. We need to become people of grace and mercy. As we're looking through the attributes of God's goodness, God wants His nature to be our nature. And so as we look at His love and His his faithfulness and His patience and His mercy and His grace, these are what God is trying to build in us. These are the fruits of the Spirit. In Colossians 3, 9, and 10, having put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of its Creator. Be imitators of God, in Ephesians 5, 1, as beloved children. Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so if you come away with anything from God's grace and mercy, it's this. God has given it to us, undeserved, lavished it on us, completely saved us when we don't deserve it, and He expects us to do the same for others. And so to come away from grace and mercy, I don't want you to leave today and say, oh, God is great. Well, I do want you to say God is great, His grace and mercy, but that's not all. I want you to go away and say, how am I reflecting that in my life? Am I a graceful person? Giving grace to others. Gracious person, rather. Am I gracious? Even when people don't deserve it. Am I merciful and compassionate even when they don't deserve it? See, these are issues of the nature of God, which means they are sin issues. And if we are not compassionate, if we are not gracious, we are sinning. This is huge. This is what changes whether we just sit in the chairs and Christianity is just for me or whether we realize we are being changed by the Holy Spirit to do His work. We have a huge opportunity right now as a church to show that we are gracious, compassionate, merciful people. As God is bringing in people from our neighborhood, He's bringing in kids from our neighborhood. And the question is, how will we respond? Are they a nuisance? Or are they souls that need Christ that we're called to be compassionate on, merciful to, show grace to? They're going to mess up the facilities. Ministry is messy. 
It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. But the question is, will I reflect Christ and say this is his church, or will I say this is my church? And so many of you are going across the street and bringing kids in to to Sundays and to Awana, and they're coming during the week, and that is a divine appointment to touch their souls for Christ. Don't be annoyed. Give praise to God. See what God is doing. That's how we can tell if we are impacted by God's grace and God's mercy. How can I give that to others? Pray for them. Come down on Tuesday nights and play basketball with them. Come at Awana and give them hugs. Because God is changing lives. Through His grace and mercy, He is calling some of those to salvation in Him. Will we be part of it? I believe we will. That we will show God's grace. We will show His mercy. Dear Lord God, we praise You for Your grace and mercy. Help us not to just treat those as two little words, but as something that pervades every aspect of our lives, because we owe you our life. In Jesus' name, amen.